Hello, welcome back to the R Squared Fantasy Football Podcast. We're back after last week's episode, going back to the weekly recaps and looking at the season-long metrics, uh, mostly focusing on Dynasty. Uh, we're your hosts. I'm Akash. You can find me on Twitter at YZR underscore fantasy. And I'm Ian. You can find me at Dynasty underscore IM on Twitter. So let's just jump right back into it. You know, we had the three Thanksgiving games. Obviously, last week was a bit chaotic, but... As we are the uh, box score scouters, you don't actually need to watch the game to give your takes on it. Um, Mooney on the year, Darnell Mooney, wide receiver for the Chicago Bears, has a, has a 27.5% target share, which is was pretty good. And it's 34.1% uh, air yard share, also pretty good. On Thanksgiving, he had a 21.6% target share and had 17.5 PPR points. He has 17.5 plus PPR points in the last three games so nice little streak and 12.9 points per game on the year which is pretty solid for the low volume offense the peripherals are obviously obviously good and as the year goes on i'm buying more and more into him his price is rising as more people are buying into him like me but he does have uh the peripherals that would benefit from disorder like if the uh, offense was to become more pass heavy we could see a higher ceiling for mooney because the peripherals are so good uh commit on the year has a 18.9 percent target share and on thanksgiving he absolutely went crazy with a 30 percent target share and 14.5 pbr points so there's solid peripherals there but the low volume offense has led to less production um, David Montgomery, since his return in three games, he has no games under 75% opportunity share, 75% opportunity share, and zero without being the leading RB by a, that, a large margin in routes and targets. So he's their work, workhorse, seeing the majority of receiving work and rushing work. There's really no reason to worry about him. Maybe he's a little bit limited coming off for injury, but that's just something that gets right over time. He's um one of the more underrated workhorses in the NFL right now. Yeah, I remember I put up that graphic, and it was to show off um, Saquon's, how much he's used, and it showed there's some big names like C. Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, uh, Najee Harris this year, and then you can also find David Montgomery, which he may not be the best back, but he's getting the usage, and that's what we're going to follow is the usage, and he's getting a ton of it. Um, you hope it's a little better offense when Fields comes back, back i suppose if he's had a few good games with offense has been a little better more scoring which helps people like david montgomery but um we'll have to wait and see when fields comes back hopefully it's next week but looking at detroit in that game which was a real lousy game i'm pretty sure you nailed it and you say third quarter you're gonna leave uh go play some turkey bowl and you pretty much had to score right on but uh jamal williams in this game because swift went down is kind of the one who took over the opportunity share obviously but it was more surprising that he just took the bulk of it he was one of the he tied for uh target lead among all the players and that's 20 percent target share with 71.4 percent opportunity share which just shows because swift might not play next week which makes jamal williams very interesting because he is someone who is going to be playing with Jared Goff, who as good as Swift is in the receiving game. Goff is someone who's historically chucked off to his running back a lot. So that also helps Jamal Williams. So he's definitely someone who I'm probably looking to play next week as long as Swift is out. And then we uh, we talk about the wide receivers on here kind of every week, but it's someone, someone new every week or it's no one. But this week it was Josh Reynolds, 20% target share, 2.8 yards per team pass attempt. But again, 
that's that's probably going to change next week. We'll probably see like Khalif Raymond or Amon Ross St. Brown. So it is funny. This is kind of one of those offenses where I feel like people spent the whole offseason talking about, well, what wide receiver is going to be the wide receiver one for the Lions? Like, I want to pick him, but it's the reality that a wide receiver three on a high passing, a good offense is much better than having whatever a wide receiver one is on this offense. So just because you're the wide receiver one doesn't mean much. And I think the Lions have kind of proven that this year. And then one more thing on TJ Hawkinson. So I saw, I want to give credit, but I can't remember who I saw from on Twitter, but uh, TJ Hawkinson's tight end three on the year, but the difference between tight end two and tight end three is the same as tight end three and tight end 17. So as much as you want to see that as positive for TJ Hawkinson, he has been pretty underwhelming, especially when there is no other options in this passing game. Like we're talking about Josh Reynolds and Jamal Williams being the leading target guys this week. And TJ Hawkinson still puts up 12% target share. Yeah, what was his uh, target share on the year? Uh, I believe I have it right here. It's twenty point seven percent. So uh, like that's a big alpha. A bit better than last year, but as far as production, that's only point nine points per game higher than last year. And everyone's expecting him to take this uh, bigger jump with uh, less wide receivers. Him, they were hoping he'd become the alpha. He's kind of a bit looking at the target share, but it's just really not there. He has multiple games lower than like a. 12 13 percent target share just can't happen if you want to take a step into the elite territory which is tough to see but he's still young and the peripherals are decent offense will get better um it's, it's still pretty upsetting to see just because yeah his peripherals in terms of athleticism was what was supposed to keep him from kind of that upper echelon of very good tight ends which still mm-hmm. does but the fact that there was no other weapons on this offense, another leading target uh, getter on this team is DeAndre Swift, a running back. It is pretty disappointing because he does a 20% target share next to a really good running back and then a bunch of Jags playing receiver. Yeah, it just goes to show you those vacated targets. They just they don't <laughs> they work. Just don't exist. Yeah, something that does exist is vacated opportunity. And that's exactly what we saw for the tight end uh, Las Vegas Raiders game. When Waller left early, Foster Moreau played 89% of snaps. Waller left after like 10% of snaps. So that Moreau's playing nearly every down. Um, and just that's just like when Waller missed time earlier in the year. He missed a single game. And so Moreau, if, he, if Waller's out, then Moreau seems like a good start because whenever you're on the field 100% of the time or nearly 100% of the time as a tight end, you're probably going to be usable fine production for a week just because there's very little tight ends that are fine production. So that leads to like six, seven targets, and that works, right? Renfro had a 24% target share in this game. He had eight catches for 134 yards, kind of like a Cole Beasley type game. On the season, he has a 21% target share. Uh, Whopper is pretty low just because he's a slot guy who gets these uh, short-distance targets. He has a, he's a bit overproductive with um, 14 points per game, but only 12.9 expected points per game. And his price on key trick cut is rising just a little bit into like the range of guys like Michael Thomas, Brandon Cooks, Tyler Lockett. And I'd sell for that if I'm contending. It's like it's flipping a guy who might just be like Adam Humphreys or Cole Beasley for uh, maybe a bit better than those guys, but he's still, nah, maybe I have a bias against white slot guys. But if I can flip for some elite uh, older production or like good o- older production, then that's a move that I make. And then Brandon, we're still doing nothing as usual. 
Yeah, I'm with you on that. Although I do have a lot of Hunter Renfro shares just because I think the other options at wide receiver on this team were kind of, uh, what's the word, overvalued and overprojected, which kind of left Hunter Renfro kind of as the one who could surpass all that because the opportunity that was given to the other receivers is now in Hunter Renfro's hands because there isn't that many good options and Josh Jacobs isn't necessarily a pass catcher. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Some- I was going to say, for a receiving back that they paid like $5.5 million to, Kenny Drake is running less routes and less routes per game and is less of a receiver than Josh Jacobs, which is interesting. Gives a bit of a, um, a little bit more appeal to Jacobs, who people are treating as is like, like yeah. All and back. he's Josh Jacobs has upgraded in the receiving game from last year, which is kind of the opposite you'd expect when they add Kenyon Drake. But yeah, yeah. Uh, looking at the Cowboys this game, they were without Ceedee Lamb and Amari Cooper, so it kind of opened up for what we were hoping to be like Michael Gallup, or I guess in this case it was Cedric Wilson. He was twenty one point three percent target share, which was. The leader, but Dak Prescott, who did play well, he was pretty much around his average when it comes to PFF passing grade. I believe it was 73.2. And then he's doing it with weapons where Cedric Wilson is getting 21.3%. Noah Brown, between those two, that's 40% of the targets going to Cedric Wilson and Noah Brown. So it kind of just shows that Dak was pretty damn good this game. And then Ezekiel Elliott taking 17% of the targets. I, I did see he was banged up, but it doesn't seem like it's kind of a funky if there even is a timeline or what's even going to happen next week. Um, obviously, if he doesn't play or they rest him or whatever it may be, Tony Pollard does get a step up. But I think it, it'll still be a split. He's not someone who's going to take over in the sense that this entire year it's kind of been 60-30th, Ezekiel Elliott and Pollard. And it's been Ezekiel Elliott that everyone's calling Washington stuff. So for someone who's never taken over a load, I don't expect to see – Pollard this next game. If there is no Zekele hitting like a 70% opportunity share, 15% target share, like he'll be productive on what's likely to be a good offense. But I think some of what I see needs to, is a little too much for me, a little too rich for Tony Pollard. We should uh, just clip that and send it straight to Jacob Sanders. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I definitely that. think it's, it's weird because they said that they're going to arrest him. And then as the week went on, they're like, no, he's actually going to get a lot of work. It's like, what the, what the hell are you changing your mind like that? Because he didn't get hurt in this game. He got hurt like weeks ago, and it was yeah. just like affecting his um, effectiveness or something. And they're like, okay, we're going to sit him for this game. And then later, like, no, we're not going to do that at all. In fact, he's going to get a serious load. Maybe they were saying that this whole year they've been resting him. They've been wanting him to give him like a 90% opportunity share, but they let Pollard come in a little because Ezekiel Elliott needs some rest. That would be, be hilarious. Um, and they're, uh, The next game the uh, Bills game, I wrote in my show sheet that Knox is 2021 Robert Tunyon because he has top five production on a 13% target share, and it's propped up by a touchdown every 5.8 catches, which is absolutely ridiculous. It's not that you should like get off of Knox immediately because he's going to regress a ton next year and tear his ACL or something like Tunyon did, but it is to say that if his price starts to rise, then I would try to get off because the peripherals aren't aren't there and just extreme efficiency granted it is a good offense and we don't expect josh allen to be bad anytime soon so the offense probably stays good but i wouldn't expect um knox to continue being as lucky with touchdowns especially when and i'm not sure if the um red zone targets are there 
pretty easy thing to check, but I haven't checked it. The best approach to the backfield there, the Buffalo backfield, is to like wrinkle your nose, look away, and try not to throw up. None of the options are viable. None of the options are good. I would just hope that they bring someone in next year or draft someone because maybe they could be viable like uh, like Leonard Fournette is in Tampa Bay where it's a, a passing – it's a pass-happy happy offense and it's a good offense. And the running back gets good work, but they also get good passing work and a lot of touchdowns. So, but right now the backfield is just not something that appeals to me at all. And then Diggs is um, he's obviously the alpha, but he's regressing to over the he's been regressing to his career target share of like twenty four percent, twenty five percent instead of like the twenty nine percent that we saw last year. Yeah, that has been the disappointing and kind of unpredictable thing with with Diggs because it's not they added Emmanuel Sanders, they didn't really do much else so it is kind of sad to see in terms of wanting to see Diggs be the wide receiver one overall because that was well within his range of outcomes before the season but um, yeah, like probably, relatively disappointing but like on the he's season, still Stefan Diggs still, in a really good passing receiver, offense yeah he's still but, wide receiver seven in points per game it's not it should be that disappointing he has like 17 and a half points per game yeah in terms of wanting to see him be like a wide receiver one wide receiver two overall it mm-hmm. It's a little disappointing. But anyways, besides the point, I probably talked more now than I will about the Saints because if I just name everyone that got targets this game in terms of most to least, Ty Montgomery, Deontay Harris, Lil' Jordan Humphrey, Traquan Smith, Marquez Callaway, and Nick Vanette. Those were all the players that Trevor Simeon was throwing to. So it, it the sad part, I guess, about seeing these games is knowing that Alvin Kamara wasn't in one because we could have seen Alvin Kamara 40% target share last game which would have been really exciting but uh, it sounds like he could be back this week and then we'll likely i'm not sure about mark ingram we had seen in the past that uh that alvin Kamara, when he doesn't have another running back like mark ingram earlier this year they were kind of using him in the run game a lot more than they were and which they're still using a ton in the passing game um but if mark ingram doesn't come back we'll see that again he does come back will we see kind of the Mark Ingram it's funny because it went back to the Mark Ingram Alvin Kamara that we first originally saw in the Saints in terms of usage where although Kamara's taking a little more of the opportunity share behind the line of scrimmage in terms of rushing but it is kind of funny to see that it's kind of just right back to the way it is just that's how players are players will be themselves I suppose right exactly exactly and then um with Taysom Hill maybe oh right yeah Taysom Hill I think yeah. you talked about this but, yeah, it sounds like he's coming back this week. And just like, you know, the Cam Newton situation where he can put up these back-end or high-end RB1 weeks or uh, QB1 weeks, that's something that Taysom Hill can definitely do. And which is another reason why I was upsetting not to see Alvin Kamara out this week because we do know that Taysom Hill likely lowers the ceiling for Alvin Kamara just a little bit, but still a clear RB1. Yeah, definitely. They, I don't know if he's on many dynasty waiver wires, but if he is and it's super flex and it's like a, it's a priority add just because you get instant production. But even in one QB league, I think it's a it's a good add just because uh, the production, obviously. And uh, other than that, the offense is really uninspiring except for Hale if he pl- if he starts and Ingram at uh, not Ingram in uh Kamara, if he plays. Moving on to the Sunday games, the Pittsburgh Steelers against the Cincinnati Bengals, where the Steelers are absolutely trounced by the Bengals. I wrote L-M-A-O-O-O-O, Ben, 
because Ben was absolutely horrible in that game, but it didn't affect uh, Deontay Johnson much, who continues to be absolutely terrific. He has a 29.5% target share, 17.5 points per game. He has elite production and elite peripherals without the elite price because he's wide receiver 17 on key trade cut, which makes him uh, an easy, easy buy for me just because everything about him is elite except for the price that you have to pay to get him. Um, Chase Claypool is not exploding this year, but he is playing well. It's a 20.4% uh, target share, and obviously there's some deep targets, which uh, leads to leads to 37% air yard share, 12.1 uh, points per game. But that's a bit lower than his expected points per, ga per game of 14.5. Some variance there. Part of the problem is like the noodle arm of Big Ben, but it's also just general variance because deep targets are harder to catch, which leads to you're unlucky, then sometimes they'll show up uh, not as well in fantasy points over expected. The price hasn't like completely crumbled, but it's been declining since the beginning of the season, so it's an okay buy. I don't, I don't hate it, and there's definitely some upside if they can fix their QB situation. Yeah, no, there for sure is, but the Cincinnati Bengals kind of just absolutely dominated this game. It was kind of all about the Bengals, and it was honestly awesome to see, but what wasn't is how they scored 41 points, and they were awesome, and Joe Burrow threw the ball just 24 times. I mean, they have T. Higgins, Joe Mixon, who puts up good good target shares, Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd, and yet they throw the ball 24 times in what was a blowout win, too. So that's, uh, that's football for you, I guess. But Joe Mixon was kind of best player in this game in terms of fantasy, 32.5 uh, PPR points, 76.2%. Opportunity share, 16.7% target share. I mean, I think he had three touchdowns. Uh, couldn't remember because he snaked one from T. Higgins, who was down at the very half-yard line. Almost turned his uh, – for someone who can't catch touchdowns, or so I've heard this year, he about had two in one game. So I guess we'll chalk that one up to variance. But, yeah, 33.3% target share for T. Higgins, 4.56 yards per team pass attempt. I mean, 23.5 PPR. He was real good. And, I mean, for someone who somehow hadn't been over 14 fantasy points before this week, he kind of exploded, which was great to see because, again, I heard he couldn't catch touchdowns, couldn't score fantasy points. But here we are, Alfing, uh, Alfing Jamar Chase this game, who – was pretty disappointing, but Jamar Chase is also still Jamar Chase. I mean, this is this kind of thing with wide receivers, especially even young stud wide receivers, like a 12.5% target share is like the absolute floor for Jamar Chase. Yeah, definitely. There's a, just one game of uh, Jamar Chase not seeing elite volume. Like, I, I think this is his first game not seeing like six plus targets or something or a certain target share. It's crazy. He's been terrific. Um, the uh, next game, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Ian and I were right about Leonard Fournette. I'll just say that right now. Especially Ian, who kind of got me on the train. I was already slightly on the train, but Ian completely just fucking grabbed me and pulled me off of the train. Um, and then he had four touchdowns in this game and eight targets and 131 scrimmage yards. And he went absolutely nuts. And if you saw the last video or like, if you're a contending team, go buy him for like a mid to late second. If you did that, then you probably won your last week and that just pushed you closer to uh, a title which is absolutely terrific and I, I haven't looked at keep trade cut but i have a feeling that you can't get them for the mid or the early second round value that 
said it could. I have a feeling it's going to take a first to get Leonard Fournette these days. That's crazy. That's just to only take one game for that price to go up. <laughs> you get reminded of what you can happen when you have a workhorse in a really good offense. Uh, Rob Gronkowski, another sneaky, he's a sneaky win now target. He's like, he has a 15% uh, target share, but that includes the two games he's left early. 15.1 points per game, which is third in the league, and a hell of a lot of red zone targets. Um, it's fine. If you want to contend, you really, especially in tight end premium, you really need one of the elite tight ends, which looks to be like just Travis Kelsey and uh, Mark Andrews right now. But Gronkowski is outproducing his peripherals, and it's partly because of uh, the red zone targets and – He's an okay buy if you like desperately need a tight end. But if you desperately need a tight end, I don't know what you're doing con- trying to contend, really. It's But it is one hole. Antonio Brown is obviously still a buy, like we said last week. Nothing's changed. He still has the op- potential to be a top 12 uh, wide receiver when healthy. He was before he got hurt. And um, Chris Godwin, I'd sell him for Deontay Johnson, DJ Moore, Terry McLaurin, because they all have better peripherals than him, but Godwin has uh, some uh, better production just because obviously the um, high volume and the high efficiency of the offense has led to that and also the terrific QB play. Yeah, I don't want to waste time and go off on a huge thing on Chris Godwin, but he's he's going to be a really interesting case. I feel like we'll probably talk about in the offseason because his in terms of peripherals and stuff we look at, he's not some – top 12 elite when it comes to you or opportunity and targets earned because he's someone who throughout his especially good years of his career he's a 20 22 target share guy even when he had that blow up here where he finished as the wide receiver one overall with Jameis winston because of crazy volume all that which he still has crazy volume he wasn't putting up a ridiculous target share or anything like that but yeah He's, he's really good. He still earns targets on a really good offense. So you'll probably, if you have him, you're not going to sell him right now unless you can get like a Deontay Johnson, especially plus. But they're lower on keep your cut. Yes, exactly. But I feel like if you have him and you're contending, he's so good in a really good offense, especially the rest of the season. He's someone I'm, I'm selling, but probably not until the offseason because he's still going to be an elite producer. Deontay Johnson has more production and better peripherals. So if- if I'm contending, that's a trade. Like regardless of contending or building your team direction, I'll take Deontay over Godwin. But maybe if you want to continue contending, just you can hold him and try to trade him for more or McLaurin after the year because it's probably not going to change because the production continues. He is a free agent after the year, and a lot of his production, like he has uh, 16.4 points per game right now, and he obviously had that wide receiver two season a couple of years ago. A lot of that has been on the back of an efficient and high volume offense even before Brady got there but it's um it's fine there's a it's a contrast between history of production and peripherals but yeah yeah I'm with you there uh I would especially because I think you can uh, get Deontay Johnson plus for him right now too and yeah. if you're contending you're basically swapping out a wide receiver one for a wide receiver one rest of the season and getting a plus on top of it so I don't have a problem with that but I like that moving on to the Colts this game uh, we talked about, I remember talking about earlier how Jonathan Taylor, he was getting that 60% op share, but we talked about his target share was increasing, which was really good to see from year one to year two because he's not someone that earns a crazy amount of targets. 
But as of late, we've seen the opportunity share rise, and especially after this blow-up game, he comes out 80.8% off share. The only person out there getting reps besides him is Naheem Hines. There's no third back back here, and JT is the one who soaked up all the opportunities after Marlon Mack stopped getting used or any other running back. He kind of soaked it all up because Naheem Hines is sticking around where his opportunity share has been basically his entire career and especially since he's been in Indianapolis. So Jonathan Taylor's just being used in a bell cow role. So it's really great to see because he was already talented enough to be a top RB1 with not fantastic usage, but we're seeing the usage rise. He's still 65.6% off share on the year, but I'm sure by the end we'll see it a lot closer to 70, if not 70. Uh, in this game, Michael Pittman outfit again. He's done that a lot, which is really good to see, especially because – Again, the players around him aren't the most fantastic wide receivers, but he's looking like a Cortland Sutton career arc person. Uh, their profiles compare a lot. I think I've said that a good amount of times. He's like Cortland Sutton. This game, 23.3% target share, 1.2 yards per team pass attempt. That's it's pretty good. That's right where you want to see him. So that's what I got for the Colts. And Carson Wentz is pretty much, in terms of PFF passing grade, he's looking just like rookie or Carson Wentz, which wasn't bad. And it's a lot better than the Carson Wentz that was last year. But he's no terrific talent or anything like that. Right, exactly. Uh, I agree with that. For the Sutton thing, uh, Sutton had a similar rookie year, except the fact that he didn't face plant. And then he had a higher target share and I believe higher air yard share. His general opportunity was higher in uh, year two. So I think... I think I don't think Pittman on that level in terms of a career arc standpoint, but he's definitely similar in that I think he's just a I think he's lined up the wide receiver too, but he's being priced a bit higher. Like he's being priced above some of the guys we mentioned earlier, like um, Deontay Johnson and DJ Moore. I feel like I'd rather have the other two guys. Uh, I would as well. And T. Higgins. Yeah, T. Higgins is always a buy. <laughs> Always has been. He hasn't even risen since the uh, big game. I don't know why, but this is whatever. Speaking of DJ Moore, on the season, DJ Moore has a 28.4% target share, which is fifth in the league. He's fifth in weighted opportunity rating, and which is terrific, and he has a 40% air yard share. He sees targets, opportunity. He sees a lot of valuable targets, which is awesome. The bad QB play has obviously hurt. He only has 14.7 points per game on the year, but there are elite opportunity metrics and peripherals. It's terrific. There's um, definitely a chance for positive regression and elite upside in the future, um, which is stuff that we buy because when you have a price that isn't uh, super high and we have elite peripherals, we have elite upside, then it's something that we can take advantage of because if this QB situation gets figured out, then I think we're looking at a guy who will be top five, top ten. Cam had a horrible terrible bad game but i'm still rocking with him as a qb2 with some weekly upside if he falls into the end zone or something that's how it is with cam newton he's obviously not prime cam newton but i don't think he's completely washed uh christian mccaffrey's done for the year which absolutely sucks uh chuba hubbard steps into the rushing role abdullah more into the receiving role kind of bad for fantasy just because one's a receiver one's a rusher but i do think that chuba's gonna end up as a low rb2 for the rest of the season and the story of Terrace Marshall being a healthy scratch sucks for his um, career arc. I think, I, I think he'll end up getting back to some playing time just because 
Keith Smith didn't do anything with his opportunity in getting on the field. He's actually Brandon Zosha who did more than Chief Smith. I think Marshall gets back on the field, but I'd say there's a really, really, really high chance that he face plants. So I just move on from him now and see what I can get. If you can still re-roll for two, that's fine. But honestly, it just looks horrible. Just get out for what you can. Yeah, and then looking at Miami this game, speaking of wide receivers uh, that are priced around wide receiver one range, we now have Jalen Waddle who enters as wide receiver 11 overall on keep trade cut, which I'll admit I was I was too low on Jalen Waddle coming in. I mean, obviously his profile had a lot of risk involved, but he's pretty much hitting like pretty much near the pinnacle of where his uh, prospect profile was at pretty much the highest range of outcomes it seems for Jalen Waddle, but he's being a little bit overpriced so far in my opinion because he's not someone whose overall career ceiling looks to be super high. I think he's probably good back end wide receiver too. I mean, this game, 32.3% target share is super good to see. And no matter who who's in, that doesn't matter. But you have people like T. Higgins who do that same thing, and they're playing with Joe Mixon, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, and they stick around wide receiver 21. And then Jalen Waddell has 33% target share, just like he does with Albert Wiss, uh, Wilson, Drew Smythe, Mike Gesicki, Isaiah Ford, Miles Gaskin. So as good as Jalen Waddell's been, I'll admit I've been too low on him, but the market just seems to push up and be a little too aggressive. I mean, he's a rookie who's producing, which after a blow-up game, he goes up. But wide receiver one prices, there's so many wide receiver ones who's established himself, still really young. Like DJ Moore, for example. You're basically choosing, do you want elite production for six six more years till 30 where you, before you look at that 30-year-old mark? And then Jalen Waddle, who's 22, I believe. So two extra years. So you're talking about six and eight. I mean, you probably don't even remember or been in a dynasty league that goes back that far, or at least most of them. So it is kind of funny how people just preference that much age as if it makes it very much of a difference. I mean, there's age-adjusted production, but again, DJ Moore has always been an elite producer. When you can swap the two, it's something I'm looking at doing. Still a sell. And then Miles Gaskin, you had the point that, yeah, he's being priced around Alexander Madison was one of the names I remembered. So he's being priced around backup running backs, which for someone who's been getting the uh, usage, he's constant 50-plus percent opportunity share, usually around that 10-plus percent target share. On the season, he's got a 12.1% target share, which is exactly what you want to see from your running back in terms of fantasy, especially one as cheap as Miles Gaskin. So, yeah, he's still a buy. Philip Lindsay came in 33% off share. Yeah, it's his first game, and people are kind of overreacting to that, I would say. Miles Gaskin isn't some super talented person, but no matter who's been in the building, Miles Gaskin's been a constant 50% plus opportunity share, 12% target share person. And that's exactly what you want for running back, especially, like I said, that's been that cheap because the others around his, you just dream they get that usage. That's what you're hoping for when Miles Gaskin already has it. Totally, yeah. If uh, I'm contending and I can't get Leonard Fournette because Leonard Fournette just had that uh, spike game or something like that, I need RB depth. I'm fine targeting Gaskin for price hasn't shifted. It's still around a mid to late second like we illustrated last week. He just had a two-touchdown game or something, right? And his price hasn't shifted. So I think that's a fine buy. If I'm rebuilding, he's actually something I'd be interested in targeting after the year because I know 
that his value is going to drop the second the year ends because the production won't be there and it's just going to be uh people looking at how fragile his job is and people that he's definitely going to get replaced because he's not some super talented rb it's definitely possible some would even say it's likely but they're still within the range of outcomes that he doesn't get replaced and he has another year of rb2 production because we said the exact same thing last year that he was, he was going to get replaced and then he didn't get replaced so i'm fine with after the year buying miles gaskin if i'm a rebuilder and i'm fine with buying him right now if i'm a contender and i need some rb depth yeah yeah next game the tennessee titans uh this offense is so gross right now i don't want to talk about it. it's just bad um people panicking on aj brown because like I don't know, sometimes when injuries pile up people get worried and they drop the price and say he's injury prone i don't care just buy low on him he has elite peripherals in the elite history of production despite years of playing played with injury and this year his play his games are played by injury so i just buy low if people are panicking on him uh, potential buy low for julio he might be back this year he might not be i have no clue but i, I just float a third and see what happens because he's the type of player that some people might be like yeah i'm just trying to get out for anything because i think he's done I don't know if he's done. He very well might be, but at the price of a third, I'm willing to find out because his yards per hour run hasn't collapsed or anything. It's still over two, which is a decent benchmark. So that's fine. That's pretty good. He's obviously had some injury issues, but that's really extremely priced into his cost right now. Yeah, and then I was just looking for this, uh, looking at the New England side on here because I wanted to talk about Mac Jones, who's been really good. And uh, obviously there's hype around him. He's being priced as a QB1 on keep trade cut, which, I mean, he's been really good. But there's a difference between being really good, and we try to reiterate that. There's a difference between being really good and then being a really good fantasy quarterback. So, like, Mac Jones right now is lighting the league up. I mean, he's doing really well. His PFF passing grade says so. He's literally a QB1 in PFF passing grade alone, which is really good, especially for a rookie quarterback when you see what these other quarterbacks are doing. But in average uh, points per game, if we look at Mac Jones, we find him as a QB3 on the year in points per game averages. He's QB27. And that's because of a few things. He has a low A dot. His team isn't passing much, which it can change. But yes, how much does that make him go up? Like, a QB two. I mean, that's right where we saw the ceiling form. Uh, Mac Jones was a QB two. And if he hits that good for him, but the way he's being valued, he's not someone that you want to pay up for. Like for example, Baker Mayfield, who I think is a buy right now was QB 10, just a couple years ago. He's a rookie. He was doing really well, but he was on an offense that doesn't pass much. And it still doesn't pass much despite it being a new system. And he wasn't someone that rushed a lot. And, Unlike uh, Mac Jones, he had a higher A dot. He was throwing, forcing the ball downfield, unlike Mac Jones, who is kind of chucking down a lot more than what Baker did. But, yeah, if we want to name, just on average, points per game, some quarterbacks who are higher than Mac Jones this year, we get Matt Ryan, who is left for dust, Jimmy Garoppolo, left for dust, Tyrod Taylor, worth nothing, Taylor Heineke, Teddy Bridgewater, Trevor Simeon, I mean, even James Winston, like we're talking about quarterbacks who are producing at a higher rate than what Mac Jones is, despite them being a lot worse quarterbacks. Like the whole Mac Jones argument has nothing to do with how good he is or how good he passes the ball. There's just the Konami code that's secret to the quarterback, I guess, because, or uh, not secret, but sacred 
two fantasy football quarterbacks. And that's something that Mac Jones certainly does not provide at all. And the low ADOT and low volume just isn't helping with that. So any yeah, thoughts say, on uh, Mac? I will say to counter that, um, I'm not a Mac guy, and I do think QB1 prices are a bit much. But in this case, I'm fine with um, liking a player who's good. And if his situation cha- breaks right and changes, and you can see some better production, I do think that uh, QB1 prices are too high. I already said that. But I definitely think that um, it's fine to uh, just look for good players because sometimes as a rookie, your QB production isn't going to be as high as it is for uh, as you go into your next year because obviously you get touchdown rate and stuff like that. Like we saw with Joe Burrow, um, who was good in a lot of um, metrics like PFF passing grade and stuff like that, but he wasn't there in like points per game. And then we saw him take a leap. Obviously, the uh, offense has been pretty low volume for Burrow this year compared to the last year, but the efficiency has been up. So I do think Mac Jones has room to grow just from a fantasy standpoint, even if there's not probably never going to be much rushing upside. I do think that he'll end up as a QB two, but like you said, that's a way lower than what he's priced right now. Yeah. You're essentially buying a QB one to have likely QB two numbers for, and that's buying longevity. You're saying I want this guy as a QB two for the next like 10 years or something. First of all, are you in any dynasty leagues that have gone on for 10 years? <laughs> probably not. Maybe if you're really, uh, your league fees are really high and everyone's super dedicated, but probably not. And second of all, I think longevity is definitely overrated because if you're sacrificing upside for longevity, you're getting production that can easily be replaced down the road. You don't have to worry about if I'm taking a guy who's going to be say, I know he's not going to have a job in five years but he's going to have better production in five years. I can worry about that and I can replace that production. But yeah, this, this is separate from obviously the game, but a little game theory that I have is that it's not the longevity that I really care about. It's the stability of the asset. So like a quarterback, when we talk about longevity, yeah, they have a lot more longevity, which goes into their value or baked into their value where it's less risky to hold. It doesn't crash as much. It won't rise as much. Like if you follow like say a keep trade cut or a DLF like ADP, you'll see that quarterbacks are way more stable in their ADP and rising and falling than say like running backs or even wide receivers and tight ends. So it's more of the stability of the asset because if I'm saying like, oh, I want a QB two for five years, like that's why I want Mac Jones. It wouldn't be so I could have him in five years. And so the asset is still pretty much near the same value or whatever. And I likely won't have Mac Jones depending on how my team is. I'll move or however that goes, but I'm getting the value back that, that I did five years ago or close to it. Whereas like a wide receiver where they're talking about longevity compared to running backs. Yeah. It's not that I'll have DJ Moore on my team in six years, it's that that value is a lot less likely to crash, but a lot more likely to gain. And then in five years, I don't have DJ Moore, but I have these highly valued assets because of DJ Moore. Right. And um, with Mac Jones valued, I just checked. He's a top 30 asset right now. First of all, I would still take Fields and Lance over him. I don't know why he's above Fields and Lance. I'd make that trade just because I'm chasing upside. Right. But. When you have a top 30 asset that's getting into the range of assets that are 
pretty valuable. And if Mac Jones doesn't take a leap in his second year or something doesn't break right for him, you're getting into not so stable of an asset just because if the production doesn't match the price, eventually people are going to stop focusing on the on everything around him, like his peripherals and whether he's good at football, which he looks to be, and just focus on the production, which isn't there, and start to fade him like they did for Baker Mayfield after his second and third year, right? Exactly. Now, the next game, that's a little bit of game theory for you. Some other game theory with uh, Jalen Hurts going into the Philadelphia Eagles, some uh, like complete opposite side of the spectrum where you have elite production, but who knows how long it's going to be that he'll have that production. Um, first of all, Miles Sanders left with an injury, but when his, when he's healthy, he's like a 60% opportunity share, 60-65%. Um, Devonta Smith is like Jerry Judy 2.0. As we keep saying, he has a 23% target share. Some up and down games, bad QB play. It's really, they're just mirroring each other at this point. Uh, Dallas Goddard, route participation. Dallas Goddard's route participation has been good ever since Zach Ertz got traded. Um, and since Ertz got traded, he's had a 23% target share. So you're having, um, you're, you're getting on the field close to 90% and it's a good target share. I definitely think that that's eventually going to lead to production when the QB situation is better and when the offense passes more. Um, I don't know his price exactly off the top of my head, but that's definitely something I'm interested in because he's always been a guy that had good targets per route run, and everyone was like, all right, then let's just wait till Earth leaves. I mean, we can really have him unlocked. And Earth left, and we've seen him unlocked. Peripherals are good. It's just the offense um, hasn't been over the last few weeks, and the volume has not been. So definitely something I'm interested in. If, uh, if someone's um, looking to move him, I say, okay, he's a guy that has some upside. Yeah, and it's funny that you brought up the Jalen Hurts right after we had the Mac Jones conversation because it's basically the complete opposite. It's a super high-ceiling asset, but also way less stable. So, yeah, Mac Jones and Jalen Hurts are complete polar opposites, yin and yang. But the Giants in the, the same game, they obviously weren't very good. It was a 13-7 to final score, I believe. So there wasn't much offense, which usually means despite usage or opportunity, there's not a lot of fantasy points to be had. For example, Saquon Barkley this week puts up a Saquon Barkley usage level, 75% op share, 17.2% target share. That's super Saquon Barkley, but 9.3 fantasy points because of it, because it was just such a slow, not good offense, not much scoring game, which obviously limits the ceiling of these players. Like, Kenny Galladay, 24.1% target share, which is really good to see because he hasn't been very good, and he's someone who is usually a 20% target uh, target share guy around there year in, year out. He puts up a really good opportunity or uh, earned targets, and his fantasy points just, if I'm looking right here, were eight. So his really best games because of how the offense just was in general is pretty tough. And then – just some news, I guess, would be that Daniel Jones won't be playing next game. Uh, I forget what the injury was, but it looks like Mike Glennon is his going to be in. Oh, yeah, that's right. Which isn't – it's never good. That's – it's never yeah. very good. Uh, for, for Galladay, his uh, route partic- – not route – yeah, his route participation is like 67%, and his targets per route run – it's like 19%, which is pretty close to his career average target share, not including his rookie year, of 20%. So it's interesting. I don't know whether um, his route participation is so low because of the games he's left early or because if they're playing like 
someone else over him. I'd hope it's the former because the latter is not good. But his price has gotten to a point where I'm mildly interested just because the guys around him are like guys like Nico Collins, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Brian Edwards. I'm like, okay, that's interesting because we have a guy who has a better history of production. And he's older, obviously, which is why those guys, anyone who, even if you're bad, if you're young, you'll get, um, you'll be higher on key trade cut or any dynasty ranking just because you're young. But Galladay, who has a history of production and his peripherals are not bad. They're not good, but uh, really just leaning into the history of production. I'd say that he's uh, someone I'm mildly interested in. I don't know. It, it yeah, could just be it, that he's nothing I, and he just washes out. Yeah, I mean, I don't like Kenny Galladay, especially no, I mean, where, where he was value-wise at the very beginning of the season. But yeah. he is. I would trade Donovan Peoples-Jones for him right now. I would trade Brian Edwards for him right now. I mean, I would trade Nico Collins for him right now. Like you're talking about someone who has produced in the past, and it's not high-level production. We're looking yeah. at a high end. His high end range of outcomes is back end wide receiver too. And when you're paying wide receiver sixty prices or Donovan Peoples-Jones, who'll never squeak like a wide receiver three season. I mean. That's, that's just the value point where you just got to take it. Exactly. I was going to say, this isn't some like OBJ or Allen Robinson where the production and the peripherals are down, but we have uh, the history of production is elite, and that's why I'm buying. This is the history of production is fine, and the price is even lower than OBJ and Allen Robinson were or still are. And so I'm kind of interested in buying, but it really does feel gross, doesn't it? This whole offense feels gross. Yeah, it's not something that I feel great buying, but it's like, hey, I got out of an asset and has something that, that'll do something, maybe. Right. Football fans, I'm sure we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game. With the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. Sports King isn't available in your state yet, you could still get it on the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contents. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with just their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN, that's TPPN, bet $1 on any team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And then the um, Falcons game, uh, Cordero Patterson is my savior. I love him. He's terrific. I'm wearing a Falcons hoodie right now. Uh, he might be my favorite player in the NFL. He's uh, still a good um, win-now target just because the production is elite. Um Kyle Pitt's production isn't elite, but the peripherals certainly are for a rookie tight end, um, which is why I'm not going to panic on him. So like a 20% target share on the year. Um, he only had below a 22% target share in like three games, only once since I think week four or five. It's It's been good. The production hasn't been there. He's been missed on some throws. His... Um, they're just not connecting, but he's getting, I don't know, okay, it's double teamed by the Patriots or something on Thursday Night Football, which makes everyone go like, damn, that sucks. But it's, it's fine. Obviously, his price isn't going to change because no one's going to panic on him because everyone's so high on him. 
and everyone goes like, yeah, I expected this to happen. I expected not elite production. But if you have them and you don't pay attention to stuff closely like that, and you just look at production, I'm telling you not to panic. It'll be fine. I'm still buying really for the elite upside just because before he uh, took time off, he had a 27% target share at like 18 expected points per game. Um, still the elite peripherals that we saw last year when he had top five production. And he's entering the prime wide receiver age of like 26, 27. So second he steps back on the field, if he does, I, it's baked into his price that he doesn't. But I'd say it's likely that he does. He immediately returns to being elite value and elite production. He'll skyrocket back up to the top 10. And then anytime you can have a guy who doesn't need to do anything except say, I'm back to skyrocket into the top 10 dynasty wide receivers, then it's something that you absolutely have to take advantage of. Yeah. Uh, Ridley is someone who I wasn't sure when the point to buy would be because I wasn't going to stick wide receiver 20 prices at him, even though he's likely a wide receiver 12 in value. The second says he's back because of the unknown. But now we're sort of reaching a point where, especially your league could help you, where a contender going into the playoffs or something or wants to make a run for it is holding him, knowing that they could get something productive to their win-now lineup. And it just makes Ridley that much cheaper because it's more of desperation. But yeah, he's around like wide receiver 30 prices, and I'm going to pay that for Calvin Ridley, who, like you said, I think a whole offseason, like I, we don't see him the rest of the year, but when next season when these playoffs are over and we have the one winner, then we see Calvin Ridley, you basically paid whatever you paid for, clearly less, and he says he's back. But you have wide receiver one value on your roster to do whatever you need to do with it. So he's pretty much a buy in almost any setting, in my opinion. And then right. looking not at even, Jack. Um, not even when he says, I'm back. I, I really think after the season ends, his um, value just starts to go up because people are just going to assume, all right, I know I – I certainly might. I, people are just going to assume, okay, he took the time off, and now he has the entire summer um, to get back. So I'm assuming that by the time next year rolls around, he will be back, unless there's some news that happens between uh, now and then. So I'm, I think by the time summer, by the time the offseason rolls around, his price will start to gradually climb back up to where it was before. Yeah, that's a good point. He might not even have to say anything in this offseason. People are looking towards the next season, and it already starts rising. So, yeah, that's definitely a good point because in the offseason, people don't care about actual fantasy points like they do in the season. That's why you just see such major shifts like that. But getting to Jacksonville, I'll talk about Visca Chenault, who he posted a 22% target share this game, 7.18 up, but 0.79 yards per team pass attempt was pretty subpar. But when looking at Visca Chenault, what do you do with them? Because you did pay like wide receiver three prices in the off season or whenever you got him to have him. And now he's kind of like wide receiver four price range. He's definitely fallen a bit. I think he's someone, or at least someone that I'm holding right now, because he still is talented enough to earn targets. He earned 15% of targets as a rookie. He earned 22% or 20% plus this season, which yeah, it hasn't been great. And it's an offense as a whole led by a rookie quarterback. Who's obviously still figuring it out as good as he likely is going to be. And it's, it's a new, I mean, we could talk about Urban Meyer too and how things have seemed to be schemed up, but he's someone who is talented. The eight out thing is a worry because it limits your overall ceiling, but if you're still good enough to earn targets 
or get targets like LaVisca Chenault is, then he's someone that I'm just going to hold. And when he gets to wide receiver three prices again, I mean, maybe that's something I like to get out of it right now while it's depreciated cost. I'm not worried about getting out of it before it falls. I think we're kind of seeing like the worst it could be for someone who is a good, probably pretty good at football. But also looking at this game, Dan Arnold out for the season. So Dan Arnold's season was cut short. And it looks like this game it's set up for Laquan Treadwell season, who put up a 19.5% target share, 1.26 yards per team pass attempt. It kind of makes you think, what year is it? Because Marvin Jones was the next guy on the the target order, pecking order from week 13. So pretty pretty messy offense. We see James Robinson, 72.4% op share, 9.8% target share. It's, I mean, that's, that's good usage right there. But, again, if we're going to talk about offseason – He's someone who, unless like he is pivotal to you, he's a fragile asset that you probably should get out from under. Because the second the season ends and fantasy points aren't being counted, and we can look at next season and how value is going to be shifted there and what will happen next season, James Robinson is someone who the second season ends instantly tanks in value for obvious reasons. Yep, I agree there. Definitely. Um think that uh i agree this is a good player and we buy good players when the price isn't super high and obviously the price is actually getting lower and lower it's the litany of factors that have led to the production not being there including uh the lowest touchdown rate of any player with 70 plus targets with a touchdown rate of zero that probably regresses just a little bit uh but just one of the factors when uh your adot's so low Part of the things that lead that um, contributes to your production is usage because it's not just um, earning targets and doing something with them. It's like getting schemed open targets, and that's you see that what's happening with Debo Samuel. Even with uh, low ADOT last year, he comes back has a bit of a higher ADOT. Uh, it's obviously not super high, but they're just using him like the offensive weapon that he is. Yeah, it's something that you could do with Lavisca Chanon. I don't know if he is as good as Debo Samuel, but he certainly. Has um, he's certainly not bad at football, and we buy good football players. For Dan Arnold, he's not out for the season. He might be, but he's not as of right now. It's described as like a four to six week injury. In his stead, James O'Shaughnessy is a guy that I'm interested in taking some deep flyers on, just because whenever Urban Meyer has uh, whatever what he does with tight end is he just sends one guy out there for like every snap and says. All right, do your thing. We saw that in week one for James O'Shaughnessy before he got hurt. And we saw that um, this week when Dan Arnold got hurt. So that's something I'm interested in. And uh market hasn't panicked on Trevor Lawrence, which is good to see because you don't panic on rookie QBs um, before their season's up. Speaking of rookie QBs, who the market is panicking on, kind of Zach Wilson's been following. People are already declaring him bust. I don't know if um, that's true. It might end up being but i think right now it's too early to tell especially since he's missed time come back i don't know if he's 100 he might not be maybe but when you miss time and come back we have a, l- a lesser sample to evaluate games i believe that it's only like his what um like sixth or seventh game or something right yeah so automatically declare my boss he obviously wasn't great this week he had a 40.2 pff passing grade but it's something that I'm, uh, I'll be cautious, cautiously optimistic for him going forward until we see enough to say he's a bust. And that's if he ends the season continuing to play absolutely like horrible, like 
as bad as Josh Rosen was in his rookie year, then or Dwayne Haskins, if he's as bad as those guys by the time the end of the year rolls around, then we can say, okay, maybe there's a decent chance he's a boss. But someone who's actually doing really well is Elijah Moore, who had a 34.8% target share last week. 18.3% target share since the bye week is, is very good. And um, that goes along with 26% targets per hour run. So he's doing all this damage on limited routes and limited snaps. And it's just like, well, just wait till they unleash him. It's going to be fantastic. Corey Davis on the season is he's okay. He's missed some. He's disappointed not only because of missed time, but also a 9.4% target share on the year, which is not great. You know, just looking like um, wide receiver three or four, it's just mediocre. Yeah, and it. I had high, higher hopes for him. A kind of back end wide receiver two season. Not going to see that. I mean, he's playing like a fake beta or a fake alpha. Uh, he's around that 20% target share, and that's kind of where he's lived. But was hoping when he gets away from A.J. Brown that we see a little bump, especially on a Jets team that its next best wide receiver was a rookie, uh, and Elijah Moore, who made us take a little while before they start developing that 20% target share, or at least your your average good one, as we talked about with Elijah Moore. So, yeah, Corey Davis has been pretty disappointing. He's not taking a step up like we thought was possible. So looking at Houston, it's not disappointing. It's just gross. Uh, the two running backs that got opportunities game, David Johnson and Rex Burkhead, similar. 46.4% op share for David Johnson that came with an 11.5% target share. Same target share for Rex Burkhead, slightly more rush attempts. So, And it's already an offense that we expect to do just what it did against the Jets defense last week. Pretty much nothing. Um, Tyrod Taylor is QB2 that's free in the sense that Taylor Heineke is a QB2 that's free. He's kind of just someone who, you know, especially um, if you're playing best ball and you can get him for a third and you're a clear contender, like, I don't mind. Because in uh, a weekly Tyrod Taylor week with his rushing upside, it's possible he can finish as a QB1, and maybe that sneaks into your, your roster with best ball. But other than that, I mean, I have found myself – kind of buying more like a in best ball Tyrod Taylor type or like a low end super cheap but has the upside or like Cam Newton I bought for a third that year I bought uh Tyrod Taylor for a third and then you end up having these QBs that can flex in and have a QB one week because it's within their weekly range of outcomes but that's minus the Brandon Cooks 19.2% target share which was the same as Danny Amendola and Nico Collins there's not much I have to say about this Houston team. Just it's really gross looking. Yeah. Um. I was thinking for Corey Davis. I wonder. I'd, I I want to look at it over the off season. If there's something about guys who are just wide receiver who just do better as wide receiver too. I don't know. Maybe it sounds dumb, but certainly a possibility. Um. Maybe Corey Davis isn't doing as well away from AJ Brown. I don't know. Just one one maybe. theory that I have or at least have looked into was Hayden Winks put out something about how the oh, Titans, yeah. Yeah. the Titans last year ran the most wide receiver two sets of any team. Yep. And that obviously would help the wide receiver two on the team, Corey Davis, who last yep. year, I believe is a 23.5% target share, which you see that you're like, wow, it's next to an AJ Brown. And he's on a really, really low passing volume team. It makes sense if you're getting the same price you did for him last year to yeah. be a buy in the offseason because you go to somewhere where it hasn't been historically low pass attempts. It's been moderate, and he's the clear what looks like wide receiver one. But 
Right. Yeah. When you're in, um, when you're in two wide receiver sets, you're obviously only competing with one other wide receiver, and then like tight ends and running backs. And so obviously, your tight your um target share ends up being higher. They have something that needs to be, uh, used more because it does seem to be very valuable. It is a reason that why we see um. And I think it's one of the reasons we see Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen be so successful together. They're obviously both good players, but they're uh, they just run two wide receiver sets. And uh, at the beginning of the year, it was kind of a bit more KJ Osborne, and that's why people like after four weeks they're like, "Oh, look at this! His target share is in twenty six, like twenty three. He's in a sophomore slump." I told you, I called it. it was, no, they're back to doing the two wide receiver sets. Jefferson's back to being the elite production that we've seen in his rookie year. And just a little side tangent. Um, the uh, next game, the, uh, LA chargers, another off offense where there's two, uh, two main wide receivers. And then it's like, who the fuck cares about everyone else? Mike Williams on the year has a 20% target share, but it's kind of misleading because he hasn't hit that mark in a single game since week five. And it's really just looking like the Mike Williams of old, which is not interesting for fantasy, but in, um, in a similar sense, the, it looks like the Keenan Allen of old where he has a 27% target share on the year, wide receiver production. This is what we see from Keenan Allen. And then Austin Eckler has taken quite a leap this year, and um, what he's on on the goal line, it just raised his ceiling so much because he was already an elite receiver. He was a solid rusher. He's getting more rushing work, and especially more rushing work on the goal line. And the rest of the season, he's going to be a top two running back. He even has a chance for top one running back, just looking at the opportunities. Obviously, Jonathan Taylor's been good, but so has Austin Eckler. You can't sleep on him. And then looking at Denver, it's pretty weird in terms of you have 17.4% target share, Sutton and Judy both 13. So you kind of wonder where everything's being distributed and what's kind of going on. I mean, we saw Javante Williams leading target share this game with 17.4. And not to, I guess, go off on one player for the game like I've been doing, but I'm going to do it again with Javante Williams. Uh, I saw, and you've talked about a lot, the Javante Williams versus Najee Harris and kind of the fantasy debate. Um, I think, so the reason for me, which I think Javante and looking at the peripherals, Javante Williams as a talent and as a player overall has been and is better than Najee Harris. But what it comes down to for me is with Najee Harris, if you can trade that lesser talented, lesser, better player and get Javante Williams plus something on top. That's definitely I'm gonna something I'm gonna do. But when it's straight up, and I saw, I'm pretty sure when I looked at it, it was like Javante Williams 53%, Najee 47. One of your polls, just between the two straight up, I'm gonna take Najee Harris because one, he's locked into that role. He did get the capital, and he's being used pretty much ran to the ground. And there's no reason to believe that he won't be that he won't continue to get that elite usage and. He has Big Ben right now making him a man RB1, which is really good. And Javante Williams clearly isn't breaking out. But if I can't get a plus for Javante Williams, I'll hold the high value, someone that's just going to get elite usage despite not being as good. Because in fantasy, or not in fantasy, but in real life, there's a lot of not really good running backs, not elite-looking uh, running backs to get extremely good usage. Look at James Robinson. He's not some super mega talent. I mean, there's a reason he went undrafted. He wasn't some super mega talent and still isn't. But he had like an 85-plus percent opportunity on the share. I mean, he absolutely ate workloads week in and week out 
And you can do that to running backs because they're given. They're not earned. Yeah, I fall on the same side of the debate. The poll actually ended 54% Najee Harris and 46% Javante Williams. I did the same poll a couple weeks ago, and it was like 50-50. People are really just like, yeah, I, I like Javante more. Maybe it's just a small Twitter bubble, because. Uh, but on Keep Your Cut, they're also really similar. Javante Williams just keeps rising and rising. If you can't get a plus on top of that when you trade away Najee Harris for Javante Williams, it's really not worth it because you spend all this. Uh, you, you really just hope that running backs can get to lead opportunity. And that's definitely within Javante Williams' range of outcomes, but it's also within his range of outcomes to, I don't know, say Melvin Gordon gets re-signed or something, or maybe they bring in another RB2 and Javante Williams is like a 60 to 70% opportunity share guy. That's not going to reach the same ceiling as Roger Harris. And so when you can get a plus on top of that, then it's okay. I like that because it's within this range of outcomes for this trade that Najee uh, ends up on a similar level to Javante Williams, plus I got this plus. But when you're taking them straight up, you just take the guy that has the elite production right now and the elite opportunity right now. Even if the um, talent is lower and the uh, efficiency is lower because really – I don't know. Yards per carry is lower, like, and all the efficiency stats is lower on the stuff that I care about. Opportunity remains king. And that's about it. And then, um, LA Rams game. Stafford's been has a bad stretch of three games, looking like his lion self or something. I don't know. I expect him. I expect some bounce back this because he's been bad over the last couple games. But he's regressing to like what is what he's been over his career, which is something that we expect. Um, Odell Beckham Jr. in his first game with the Rams had 10 targets, which tied the team lead with Cooper Cup, which is absolutely terrific to see. Um, he looks, uh, he's just one game, but just what we said about, about um, OBJ not being watched. Everyone on Twitter is like, yes, he is watched uh, because he quit on his team or some BS like that. But he looks good and he's um, ascending. He just had a good game. I'm excited to see what he can do. Uh, rest of the season because I think he can be a wide receiver too and get back into the fantasy realm. Sony Michelle, if Daryl Henderson missed time, is an RB2 just because um, throughout the season, whether it's been Hendy or when Hendy's out, Michelle, whoever the RB1 is there, they're just getting like 80% plus percent of the work. And normally the offense is good. So good workload plus good offense equals fantasy points. Obviously the offense hasn't been good over the last couple weeks, but Sony Michelle is a good start next uh this next week yeah i'm i'm with you on that the rams have just been whoever the rb1 is like you said have just been getting a bell cow roll no matter who it is so yeah if he has missed time we can expect on a on a usually good offense or has been good offense sonny michelle to get nearly a bell cow roll which is something you definitely want to load up and start and then looking at green bay in this game Devontae adams didn't have the Devontae adams like target share that he usually has he had 20.5%, which is funny that we talk about that being bad for Devontae Adams because that's still earning a lot of targets. It's just that Devontae Adams is Devontae Adams. And then in this game, we saw Aaron Jones, not very much, 30.6% up share, 2.3% target share. And it's one of those games you got to chalk up to. It's kind of surprising that he was even playing considering the injury and he made it back in time, which was a surprise to play. So I'm sure it was kind of an ease-in game. And it led to A.J. Dillon, 69.4% op share, 11.4% target share. So good usage from Dillon. Um, but 
yeah, that's not something that's going to continue to stick. Aaron Jones is likely going to come back, get around his 50, 60% up share and 14% targets with Aaron Rodgers. It's likely to continue. And speaking of AJ Dillon, not to, I did get something on my Twitter where someone asked if they should trade AJ Dillon and um, Darnell Mooney for Christian McCaffrey. And although you will not see that in probably many leagues, uh, Christian McCaffrey is really cheap, and A.J. Dillon's very overrated, uh, according to the market right now. But, yeah, you probably won't get that. Just kind of a funny one to... Yeah, A.J. Dillon is interesting to me. Cause he's not like these other handcuffed running backs because, like, you know, guys like Madison, Pollard, and Herbert, and stuff like that. Because he was selected in round two, he has the draft capital. And uh, he's carving out more of an opportunity share for himself, which is which is good to see. Obviously, Jones is under contract for the next few years. Uh, maybe they have an out. It's really easy to check. You just go to spottrack.com and type Aaron Jones, and you can see it for yourself. But um, Dylan's been better as a receiver as well than I thought he would be. And so if Aaron Jones gets moved on from, then I think Dylan enters the conversation of being like a top 20 dynasty back. But right now, I definitely say that yeah, he's probably still a backup or maybe like a 45 percent opportunity share guy, while Jones is healthy and playing himself. The um, the Minnesota Vikings game, Madison. Speaking of handcuffs, Madison's an RB one as long as Cook is out because he gets terrific opportunities every time that Dalvin Cook misses time. Um, I was tweeting about this earlier with Adam Thielen. It was a little bit of a subtweet. I forgot uh, who I subtweeted, but I said just because a player hasn't regressed from one year to another uh, doesn't mean they won't regress from this year to the next year. And that was an Adam Thielen tweet because before this, before his uh, 2020 season, he was never a guy that would score almost a touchdown per game. And just because he still has almost a touchdown per game in his 2021 season doesn't mean that he's going to do that again in his 2022 season. And we saw the similar thing with like Brian Tannehill um, in 2019 going to 2020, where everyone said it's a low volume offense and he's going to regress. So I'm going to, his ADP is like QB 20 or something like that. And he didn't regress. He was QB eight on the year. And it was like, all right, I guess he's a, he's a, a low QB one now. So I'm going to drop him like that. And then he did regress. And then everyone was like, damn it. How could I have seen this coming? I was a little <laughs> bit guilty of uh, liking Tannehill myself. Sorry, but uh, that's just how it is. Hannah Hill has regressed. Um, it's just one example. It can happen to anyone. So if Thielen keeps getting priced like that, he's obviously going to drop in value because he is 31 years old. But I would expect regression in production, too, going into next year. And this um, Justin Jefferson guy is pretty good. So I have to say, uh, I, I've heard he's pretty good. Yeah, he, yeah. he makes some plays sometimes. Dynasty wide receiver one, no big deal, no big deal. Oh, that guy. But uh, looking at San Francisco, uh, Kyle Shanahan likes this thing where he looks at uh, – he targets people like us who look through box scores and finds trends and tries to project uh, fantasy football. Mm-hmm. And he's like, everything you're doing and everything you're finding is going to be wrong because um, he, he'll fool you with Brandon Ayuk in the beginning of the season, and then Brandon Ayuk will be good. Uh the game after his bye, he'll start being good. And the Brandon Ayuk we pretty much expected in this offense. And then Diva Samuel now is going to be used as a running back. But he's still going to score a lot. 
And then George Kittle will get 7.7% of targets too in week 12, despite Debo Samuel not being used uh, in the, the receiving game like he has been. So, yeah, he likes to keep you on your toes. But uh, just to go off on a player, I guess, this game, Elijah Mitchell, someone I talked to with uh, some of the patrons. Shout out Drew's patron. There's a lot of good content in there. But uh, Elijah Mitchell is someone who I'm looking to sell now unless you're like a team with a buy because, yeah, he's going to have weeks like this. But I did this thing where he's got 14.8 PPR on the season per game, and I looked at all the day three guys who had 13-plus PPR the rookie year, and the list I got was Zach Stacy, Jordan Howard, and Alfred Morris. Alfred Morris was someone I compared him to at the beginning of the season. Because Morris was a Shanahan back himself. He was a exactly. day three Shanahan rookie uh, who just rushed for 1,000 yards as a rookie and then never did that again or something. I don't and remember. all those players peaked in their rookie year. And I didn't have value charts, obviously, because it goes back ways. But I'd have to imagine if there were value charts back then, you'd see after their rookie year that value kind of starts to plummet. We saw the same thing. their uh, rookie years? Uh, if I look at their rookie years, two of them, Jordan Howard and uh, Alfred Morris, were 15.4 and 15.8. What year? And then, uh, what year? Shoo, let's look right now. Um, it was after 2014, which I know Howard was, and I have to check for Morris. So we can use DLF ADP. And I uh, and see what the what the uh, value was year after year. I know. Oh, so uh, yeah, yeah, Jordan Howard was 2016. Yeah. Alfred Morris was 2012, and Zach Zasty was 2013. Damn, I just missed this song. But and then Zach if I even now. if I expand it to undrafted guys, which someone asked me to, it only gives us James Robinson and Philip Phil Lindsay. Lindsay. Yeah. And after their rookie seasons, we haven't seen the same ridiculous output that they put, and their value clearly. Still and they both, the they both, um, their teams attempted to replace both of them. Um, one of them did get replaced, <laughs> and one of them attempted to get replaced. Um, yeah, I think immediately after the season, Mitchell's another guy whose value is going to drop because people like us, some absolute buzzkills in the fantasy community, <laughs> are just going to be like, "Yeah, he's um, his job's fragile. You guys, why are you putting him this high?" And then his price going to get driven down. Yeah, imagine sinking your your value, your teeth into Alfred Morris. That's kind of what you have to think about when it comes to Elijah Mitchell. Yeah, it's like I don't know. I don't like to say that Shanahan is uh, wishy washy or something with his running back because he really hasn't been. The switch has always been mostly because of injuries to uh, guys like Moster and Breda. But I don't know. I guess he's just finding these small speed guys and running them into the ground because we saw after Breedus got a few injuries, they're like, yep, fuck you. We're going to use Raheem Mostert now. And then after <laughs> Mostert had a series of injuries over a couple of years, they're like, yeah, we're going to draft Trey Sermon and Elijah Mitchell in the, um, in this draft and then say fuck you to you too. And then Mitchell's the next guy up, I guess, to be a speedy, small Shanahan running back who gets run into the ground. <laughs> Not to say that he is going to get uh, replaced because he gets hurt. Not calling him injury prone, but he already has an injury history. Yeah. All I got to say for that game, really. I don't. Uh, Cleveland Browns make me wish I was like a soccer fan or an NBA fan. Just watching them on TV, it's, it's horrible. I don't want to watch them, I, but I have to. Their running backs are good for fantasy football. This last game they weren't because they abandoned the run pretty much. But normally, their RBs are better than the last game, I promise. Landry sees a decent target share of like 20-30%, but it's a low-volume offense, and they're low-ADOT uh, low targets. So they're not valuable, and there's not a lot of them. 
and his points per game is like 10, which is gross. He's a wide receiver four, and I'm not interested in that, really. So it's like Landry, he's older, he's not providing any win now value, and he's not providing any value value. So he's just a guy that you got to let die on your roster because maybe they move on from him after this year or something and say, and he goes to a team and has another usable season. It's possible. We've seen it before. Yeah, I couldn't agree more there on your Brown statement and your Landry opinions. I'm with you on both those. And then looking at Baltimore in this game, uh, Andrews and Brown, both 31.3% target shares, which is really good to see and kind of disappointed to see for Bateman a 12.5% target share. But again, he, is, he is technically a beta. He's a rookie beta, a good one too. And like we talked about how Elijah Moore has been on track despite people kind of worrying or even jumping ship. Don't do that with Rashad Bateman because he's another good prospect, good profile that's on track. He's not lighting the world on fire, but he's on track, and his profile says he's good, and he's doing what his profile says he should do. So really good to see from pretty much all three of those guys, even if a 12.5% target share in a week is disappointing for Bateman because you want to see the 20%, but that'll come because he is a good player. Um, And then we saw a classic – running back um, situation in Baltimore, I guess, where it's a lot of guys, four different guys are seeing carries and opportunity, and there's not one that's really seeing targets. I mean, Devontae Freeman had a 56.7% up share and a 3.1% target share. That's kind of how even the lead backs in Baltimore work because Lamar Jackson is there taking up 10 rush attempts a game or close to that yeah um for as much as i yell to buy deontay johnson because he has elite production elite peripherals marquise brown has also has good peripherals and good production and he has a lower price and he's i think he's a year younger so uh, yeah i I should give a shout out because I did make a tweet that uh, me and Akash talked about the night before where <laughs> I compared in the offseason profiles of Deontay Johnson, Marquise Brown, and Christian Kirk. And I took that as a slight at Deontay Johnson's value, who was uh, way higher than the other two uh, preseason values. And I took it as a uh, Deontay Johnson's a little, little overrated when what I should have done is said, wow, Marquise Brown and Christian Kirk, which I still did, but not to the points that I really should have because I wish I would have went and got out more Marquise Brown because I would use him as trade it or uh, add in a trade. I was like, this guy is undervalued, but if I uh, if I was looking at him a lot more as if Deontay Johnson wasn't overvalued, I would have had a lot more Marquise Brown <laughs> and Christian Kirk for that matter. And it's funny, yeah, Christian Kirk's been doing well this season, too. I think he's like a wide receiver three or something, free agent after this year. Drew's guy, obviously, you're subscribed. If you're watching this, you're probably subscribed to the Bulletproof Fantasy Football channel. And that means that you've heard him yell about Christian Kirk being hashtag good for the last couple of years. And it looks like uh, his suspicions are probably true, which is good to see. Um, you're uh, lamenting about not having enough Hollywood Brown on your team. Um, go go buy him right now then. You know, he's, his value is still uh, a good value. Uh, go buy him right now. I might go buy him right now. Yeah, and honestly, then, how would you feel if uh, you were to flip Deontay, say Deontay Johnson for Marquise Brown in a high second? Yeah, that's a good deal. Yeah. Because then in the high second, I'll just get like David Bell or something, and then I get a bulletproof alpha. Yes, you do. Which is good. 
ideally you don't trade away a guy who's undervalued for another guy who's undervalued but that, that that's definitely a possibility like i i if i had to guess without looking at keeper cut i'd say that like a guy like mike evans is probably in a similar range and so yeah i'd i'd do that i would trade mike evans for hollywood brown and then i don't know a guy like jerry judy maybe two that seems like a valid uh valid trade yeah, so trade a, I bet you could get uh, Jalen Waddle for Marquise Brown in a late first, just off the top of my head. Shit, bro, imagine. That would be absolutely insane. I, I'd love that. I very much would. And if I had Jalen Waddle, I would go try it. Yeah, I don't know why you, a Bulletproof subscriber, <laughs> has any Jalen Waddle. But, yeah, if you still have some of them. I had... um. I took over an orphan at the beginning of the season, and they had a share of Jalen Waddle. I'm like, what the fuck is this guy doing? I don't want Jalen Waddle. And so I go yeah. trade him for, like, LaVisca Chenault and a pick. In hindsight, it's a bad deal. <laughs> but at the time, I was like, yeah, hell yeah, let's get this done. But Yep, and not not uh, that's, that's fantasy football for you. You play the yeah. probabilities the best you can, and you think you're making out on great value, and then uh, that happens. Sometimes you're just wrong. I also, in the same way, I traded away Debo Samuel for Will Fuller and a pick. So I'm really serious uh, over there. You've made some bad moves. Yeah, exactly. And in then, hindsight. Like, right. I held on to Hollywood. No one bid on him. So imagine if I went over three on trading away those guys. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. We, we live by the process, die by the process. Uh, anyways, anyways, anyways. Next game, Seattle Seahawks, another tough football team to watch sometimes. DK and Tyler Lockett both have good 25% target shares on the year and high air yard shares because they have deep targets and Russ loves throwing deep targets. So a lot of targets, a lot of valuable targets, and that means that sometimes those are hard to complete, which leads to their various. Everyone complains, oh, they're too boom-bust. That's a function of them getting deep targets. That's what makes them boom, and that's what makes them bust. If Russ isn't 100%, or if he doesn't look 100%, then maybe that's uh, affecting their production. And if someone's going to worry about them, then it's an opportunity to buy, and especially buy on Russ, because just from this third-game sample of him not playing well, his price, he's, he's dropped like two rounds on keep trade cut. And I would just say, I would just point to his like eight-plus years of QB1 production and say, you should go buy him, because he's still only 33. That's like a baby in QBH, I looks like a, he's still one of the best passers of this generation pretty much over the last 10 years he's been one of the best passers in the nfl he'll get back to his elite self eventually just goodbye gerald gerald everett interesting 15.4 percent target share on the year is isn't like eye-popping but it's a solid tight end too and a couple good weeks recently with 21 targets over the last three games it's whatever and the backfield just sucks i hate it um maybe Alex Car- Alex Collins is the leader in opportunity share, but like while Chris Carson's been out, Collins has been the leader in opportunity share, but it's really touchdown or bust for him because he's not good. He's not good. He's just a backup. Yeah, and then, I mean, I'm just going to choose not to talk about the Seahawks just because it is really depressing to see. So, And I don't want to think about what's next. But Oh, yeah, you're uh, a Seahawks fan. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Condolences. You have um, a top six pick right now, right? Or is it a top five? Yeah, it's a top five pick. It's not your pick. Yeah, yeah, I know. We do not own that. And actually, it is the number four pick currently. Ah, at, at least Jamal Adams got an interception last night. It really paying off <laughs> the dividends there. 
I mean, oh man, can you imagine paying two firsts and then paying a guy and then that one first turns into the fourth overall pick and if you use that guy, you couldn't even get just that pick back? It's, a, it's, it's tough like to swallow. It's like a water trade, but for... Um, <laughs> In real life. For safety. <laughs> but uh, looking at uh, Washington this game, Antonio Gibson got really encouraging usage. 70% opportunity share and then he had a 20% target share, which is really good to see and it's not something that We'll probably see week in and week out just because we haven't. And, yeah, he's been banked up. But as long as J.D. McKissick, I mean, he went down, so who knows. But as long as he's still in there, he's someone that they like using in the receiving game. And that clearly limits Antonio Gibson, what he does out there. And even you'll see, I mean, just this last game, once J.D. McKissick, they get in the red zone or a big situation, it seemed like J.D. McKissick was in there. Um but he could miss time, which will open up an expanded role for the time being for Antonio Gibson. But he's being priced as back end RB1, so he's not a buy or a sell. He's just someone you're holding. Uh, in the preseason, the problem with it was he was treated as an RB6, RB7, and that was basically the high point of what you wanted Antonio Gibson to be. And part of him getting to that high point is projecting out of a player like J.D. McKissick, who has a role that he's been in for his career and at least with Washington it's such project him out of that to get a player to finish where you need him to or hit the ceiling that you're buying him at it's a really tough buy and then he's not a super stable upset because he's someone that it's not tremendous capital that he got and he's someone who I mean even it never happened but in the offseason he's someone that there was rumors that maybe, maybe Travis Etienne goes there something like that so there's not this level of super com- committance that you see from first and second round draft picks uh, at the RB position. But yeah, he's not a buy or sell. He's still being treated as a back-end RB1 holding. But if McKissick misses time, I mean, obviously he's, gonna, he's going to uh, get, some, get some value from that and some more production most likely. But um, Taylor Heineke, he's, he's Taylor Heineke. Um, I didn't see his A dot, but I'd have to assume it was just watching the game that it was Mike White esque, where he's just shoveling it to his running backs, or he's just really close to the line of scrimmage, even if it's to a tight end. So, yeah, um, the Washington football team will likely have a new starting quarterback not named Taylor Heineke come next season. So, but he's someone whose value reflects that, which is kind of the kind of the point of where we talk about why is a buy or sell. It's how staples this asset and Taylor Heineke, who's already not worth all that much, is already a super unstable asset. So, yeah, right. His eight out last night was five point four. God, that yeah. is like Jesus Christ. Mike White. I said, I said last night that he's Gardner Minshew two and that it's fun to root for him, and uh, he has sneaky mobility and a weak arm, but he's eventually going to get replaced. It's just a matter of when and who. His value, if it was higher, then I'd be like, yeah, get out while you can. But his value right now is basically nothing. It's like, I, I yeah, last night I, I checked briefly. I don't, I remember one of the guys on his like players to even trade was Zach Ertz. I'm like, whatever, just hold him. He's a QB2 for now. Yeah. And like, if you're, um, he's not someone I'm buying as a contender. Basically, he's the same value as Tyrod Taylor, but Tyrod Taylor has a higher weekly ceiling. So it's always, it's going to be Taylor or Tyrod Taylor that I'm buying in that range. Yeah. It is interesting to see if he's, uh, if Heineke's a level, like a level of guy who ends up finding a job elsewhere. 
or like remains a backup. He does have a two-year deal, so he'll be a he'll be in Washington next. He's the backup there. Got it. Yeah. When they draft Corral or something like that. Yep. When know. they. Yeah, I bet they wish they had Tua. Yeah, Tua's been, been fantastic, but he's really good lately. Yeah, Tua is it's good to see him succeed. He's a guy that keeps getting screwed over by that team. By his own team. I know. Brian Flores is doing him dirty. So whatever. He continues to ball out. I love it. Yeah. I think that about wraps it up. You got any final thoughts? Um, no, we kind of dove into game theory and value a lot more. Game theory is awesome. Should oh, yeah. talk about that more over the offseason. I mean, we're doing all these weekly recaps. feels like we're just doing the same shit, but oh, game yeah. theory is something that we definitely want to explore more over the offseason because it's so important. Like the micro takes of, I think that this player that's ranked here should be ranked below a guy who's ranked here. Like it's a little, it helps people some, but if you want the best way to like one of the best ways to make dynasty content is not to uh, catch a man a fish, but it's to teach the man how to fish. Right. That's exactly what we're doing over here. Teaching you guys to fish. Yeah, exactly. Love it. But that about wraps it up. Obviously, as we said at the beginning of the show, I'm Akash. You can find me on Twitter at YZR underscore fantasy. And you can find me at dynasty underscore. I am. If you like the show, please uh, like, subscribe if you want to and if uh, if you're on youtube if you're listening on a streaming site um follow because we got episodes dropping weekly right now it's exam season for college uh so the content might be coming a little slow but it's really gonna ramp up uh, as the season comes to a close and we had to really dive into all these players over the off season thank you oh yeah this this may sound uh this may sound crazy because i obviously love watching football but i'm excited for the off season yeah, me too. I am too. This uh, weekly, everything changing week to week just gets exhausting. After. Oh, yeah. I'm excited for the offseason too. That's, uh, that's about it. Thank you. Goodbye. Have a good one.